Welcome back to Sound Up Governance. This is Matt Fulbrook, and honestly, I continue to be kind of stunned by the brilliance of the people who are just, you know, around, everywhere. Like one of my oldest friends in the world, Sandra Trastain. The headline here is that once upon a time, Sander moved to the United Arab Emirates with two of his college friends to start what turned out to be a hugely successful solar energy company called Environmina Power Systems. Sander was the COO. This episode is mostly about that and the ups and downs of entrepreneurship in general, not to mention with friends and in a super different part of the world. But before we get there, maybe we can both take a stab at this. How did we meet? What is your uh, obscenity criteria on this podcast? Um, small to medium. All right. So I'll say, God damn, it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So we were in, I was in eighth grade. You were in seventh grade, making us 13, 14, 12, 13, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Ballpark. We had a lot of mutual friends but so that was that was point one of connection but strangely i think maybe bonded over music despite our other maybe more significant yeah it was unusual i think we kind of were the uh we were the raw onion of uh, uh figuring each other out mm -hmm. at the age of 13 which is weird most people don't do that mm. uh yeah i know we certainly immediately uh gravitated on the uh issue of music which is to say i was doing a rather studious and tedious uh royal conservatory run of piano lessons and cello lessons but was significantly more interested in the i don't know i'm sorry how do you pronounce it it's roch and roll yeah that's right that, that's the roll. canadian pronunciation yeah, at least yeah, yeah yeah you were a exit vehicle for me in that direction and i was in maybe vehicle for you in terms of like hey let's do a project together and record quote unquote something which sounds insanely easy right now because we would all just hit a button on our iphone to do it but in 1900s <laughs> uh, it was more complicated Explicitly, I was 16 years old. I had seen enough movies to understand that being a record producer was kind of cool. Uh, you also get that giant mixing board, which we never had, incidentally. No, we had a small one, though. We had a very small one that didn't have sliders. It had knobs. Uh, anyway, we didn't have anything like that. What we had was some very late 90s digital recording equipment in my parents' furnace room. <laughs> so that's a bit of our origin story. A 30-year adventure that was punctuated rather impressively by Sanders' journey with Environmina Power Systems. It went something like this. Okay, I'm going to go bullet point form on this. Graduated university in 2000 and... Two. Three. Three. Mechanical engineering, business degree, blah, blah, blah. All uh, functionally uh, <laughs> just academic. Uh, got real bored by my entry level uh, engineering job, uh, which was in the fire protection industry. It was fine enough, but I just wasn't interested in it. I had a number of friends, so uh, specifically a friend named Eric, who I went to university with, and he had a friend named Sammy, who he went to high school with. The three of us became socially quite close and began discussing uh, business opportunities 
specifically in the Middle East. And Sammy, in particular, had a connection, which is that his brother had already moved to the Middle East. Uh, Sammy, to be clear, Middle East background, uh, Palestinian descent, uh, grew up in Canada, a, a Toronto boy, went to Earl Hague, and was aware of a renewable energy uh, initiative that they were initiating. And so uh, we were all having, as everyone does in life, our like entry level, I just got out of university jobs and saying, hey, <laughs> it would be fun. Like, this is our moment. <laughs> we all know that we're unattached. Mm -hmm. We can get on a plane, go anywhere and do anything right now. So let's do it. And so our decision was, okay, Abu Dhabi is making a very significant investment into renewable energy. In particular, photovoltaics just stuck out as just like, a, yeah, this is the next thing. Spoiler alert, we were totally correct. Photovoltaics was the next big thing. So that was a good call. We started a company, starting a company in a, you know, non G7 economy is complicated and not anything that any of us had ever experienced before. It required a lot of admission administrative work and patience and time and but we you know pushed through it with the help of advisors and at the same time we were also fundraising so we needed you know millions of dollars to kick off a renewable energy business uh we ultimately raised uh add four point something million in uh sort of angel and seed and in fact, as it turned out, uh, institutional capital to fund the company, which is a pretty big fundraise for a first round. Our very first significant project was to build the largest uh, photovoltaic solar power plant in the Middle East uh, to date at the time in 2008, which was a 10 megawatt plant at Mustar City in Abu Dhabi. Amusingly, the 10 megawatt plant at the time cost $50 million in capital. <laughs> capital cost to build. So that's $5 per megawatt. If you were to like sort of amortize this over the cost of the plant, it was producing electricity at, I don't know, just to give it a range, like 40, 50, 60 US cents per kilowatt hour, which is to say expensive. Nowadays, that same plant, like I can't even throw a number at it. It is comically tiny like like less than uh, less than 10 percent of that number uh the energy that's being produced is among the cheapest forms of electricity available on the planet today and it was an extremely intriguing uh sort of adventure to be building this company at the same time that the economic reality of solar being not just like well this is renewable energy to just like, this is just energy. Like that transition occurred while we were building the company, very much affected our ability to build the company quickly. And, and ultimately we did build a very large company. We had uh, 1500 paid personnel on the ground, constructing projects all over the Middle East and North Africa. We had built 17,000 individual solar power systems, about $750 million of installed solar, infrastructure again across the middle east and north africa and europe it went from like you know essentially a, a fantasy product of like well i can have clean energy but i need to pay this huge premium for it to well i can have clean energy and i already get it it comes out of my outlet because municipal grids are now taking 
renewable energy from everyone and distributing it to everyone, which is the reality. Now, one of the reasons why I was so interested in talking to Sander is not just because this story is kind of super awesome, but also because I find it hard, impossible even, to imagine myself in his shoes through the experience. I wanted to zoom in a bit on his state of mind before, during, and after Environmina. And you mentioned that you were starting to do these projects in 2008, which some of us might remember was a relatively remarkable year. So let me start with this. Be honest. When you moved out to the Middle East as a, you know, 20 something year old with your friends, how how long did you expect to stay there? Yeah. So to be clear, I was in my you know, mid twenties. Uh, okay. Uh, let's be fair. Mid, late twenties. Late twenties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and it was, it just a, like, uh, I'll probably never get this chance, but like I can get on a plane right now with two rolling suitcases and a guitar on my back, which is precisely what I did. And like, give this thing a shot and I might be home in two months. That's fine. I can go get another job and whatever. Uh, but it was like, uh, huh, I don't know. You want to go try and start a corporation in the Middle East, uh, mid, uh, Iraq war, just to put a little historical context on it. Uh, and the answer was, uh, yeah, that'd be fun to try. The real surprise to it all was not that we went and tried to do it, but that it actually sort of worked out. Sure. Okay. I'm going to, but I'm going to re-ask my question. Not the, not the, yeah, I could be back in two months part, but like if you were, if I had asked you in 2007, you know, what's the, what's the goal here? I'm going to guess it was probably to like build something and sell it and be home within how long? Yeah. I mean, I, I can hear the term pump and dump on the back of your mind as you say this. And that's very fair because, you know, you got a bunch of young guys talking about starting a business and there's all there's, you know, inevitably going to be a lot of like, yo, baby, we're going to like make a couple <laughs> million bucks and be out of this thing in a couple of years. Let's roll. Uh, yeah, that is not the reality of running a business at all, but it is a very fun way to approach running a business. So long as you're relatively realistic about how wildly not the case that is going to be. So you started a, a business with friends. Yes. Which is already, there's tons of reasons why that sounds awesome on paper and tons of reasons why it sounds like it could go real sideways real fast. So what was, what was it like doing this, to, taking this? It's not just a normal risk of like, hey, let's start, let's do a startup, but we're doing it out of our mom's basement. Like you picked up and flew across the world to a really, really unusual place for, for all of you as friends what was it like just being with those guys and trying to do this together well it was intriguing so i mean obviously we were very 
close friends. The two guys are very different people and I'm a very different person than all of them. So we were sort of like a complimentary, interesting mix of mix of people. Um, I don't know. I, to be honest, it's funny. I, we, we sometimes refer to me as the, uh, late joiner to this group. <laughs> the two of those guys had been like researching this concept for a couple of months before I was even aware of it. And then I kind of like, you know, I was just like, I'd, and all right, you know, I'll be completely honest. I rolled into their apartment to, you know, party and was like, Hey, what are these notes all about? <laughs> and that was kind of the start of the conversation. Two days went by. They were like, okay, we want you to partner up full partner status. Uh, like we were one, two, now we want to be one, two, three. Uh, let's do this thing. And I was like, what is this thing? We're like, oh, right. Uh, yeah, we should probably talk about that. I mean, I remember this whole idea of feeling very risky and spontaneous at the time, but I don't remember it being quite that spontaneous. From there, we already basically know how the business turned out. And I'm not just trying to share a successful entrepreneurial story with you. Some of you listening may have already started your own successful companies and may be thinking, mm-hmm, so what? Well, there's some other parts of the story that I bet you can relate to and maybe aren't so used to talking about. So was like doing all that with friends did it was there like was it like a superpower like greater than the sum of your parts was it just sort of eh, yeah it's cool and we're friends but that doesn't really matter like what was what was it like um so it's interesting um it was certainly a wild change because for sure my perception of work leading up to Environmina was like you go to a place every day from nine to five and sit with boring old men who are generally speaking balding and angry and do what they say so that was like oh that's what i'm gonna do for the rest of my life then i landed in a crazy office where it's like well we may end up bankrupting ourselves or in jail uh, both of those are discrete possibilities. However, we are going to listen to a bunch of Lil Wayne and rap about how <laughs> we're going to close a contract tomorrow at that meeting that we have. And then when we're driving in the new car that we bought yesterday <laughs> uh, for one of us or whatever, uh, like, you know, it's fucking fun, man. Of course it's fun. It's fun to like, particularly like, you know, like this is such an absurd stereotype that it is, it is out of control, almost not acceptable for me to say, but like HBO series entourage, there was just a few inflection moments <laughs> um, being there just like, yo, bro, we're going to close a $50 million contract. Like in, 19 minutes <laughs> and we're in a car right now on our way to go do that like what do you think we do we listen uh, listen to some really loud music and we are very very happy uh so you know it's basically entourage except that we're not uh, there's a, a significant lack of male toxicity and also we're giant nerds so we were just like and i can't believe we got like clause 8.2.1.3 c subclause one through <laughs> that's crazy so now i'm gonna fast forward to when i when i met you there and yeah, I was completely isolated from your work. All I got to, to, to hear about was the, you know, that stuff for the most part. 
But I do remember already it being real clear that this was also really, really, really hard. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I was wildly stressed out. And in particular, you know, in Canada and a lot of G7 countries and, you know, like essentially the wealthy West business can and usually is relatively you know, straightforward and follows a program of like, all right, well, we're going to set an agenda. We'll discuss these things. And anyway, um, turns out in rest of world, which is most of world, it is significantly more chaotic and aggressive, which is to say there's a lot of uh, yelling at people to get things done. I, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, that's, and it, if it's on all levels, the client, the clients that we hire, the, sorry, that we hire, I wish, uh, <laughs> the clients that hire us to deliver very significant large infrastructure projects at, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at a time are genuinely concerned about us doing a good job on it and therefore yell at us to deliver it appropriately. We hire a variety of suppliers and contractors to work with us to deliver it and we yell at them. So your entire life, is yelling renewable energy sounds like you know like a really lovely like you know forward sounding industry where everything's roses and we all have ping pong tables and <laughs> play foosball over lunch and so on but now it's construction we dig holes pour concrete footings install steel framing and put solar photovoltaic panels that are kind of heavy on top of them which are bolted on and that's it like square kilometers of area mm -hmm. so it's it's a big project and it's like dirty business construction is functionally dirty and stressful and there's problems and you have to deal with it health and safety is a huge consideration like like we're responsible like morally and also like legally liably for the health and safety of every single person that touches any one of our projects and it's you know every single company has to make that decision of like this is priority number one so that's a huge project just in and of itself like you have to hire an entire project team to manage health and safety on a project site there's a lot going on. It was very stressful. There's people's lives like, you know, it's like not lives on the line, like some sort of military operation, but it's dangerous. It's construction. And this this was before. Uh, and I'll ask a question in a second, but I'll, I'll caveat in advance that you can be as nonspecific as you want. But this was before, if I understand correctly, your deals started getting more complex both in terms of the scale and scope and so on but also in terms of wh whom you were partnering with and parts of the world you had to work in that were more complex and dangerous and i mean maybe you can tell as specifically or non-specifically as you want a story about some of the really crazy dangerous stuff that you found yourself facing the reality is you're correct. I was in a couple of dangerous situations. Anything that was scary that occurred to me was in a crazy, super rural location of a faraway part of the world where it's just like we were not in an urban environment. And uh, 
whatever it is that we were doing in this non-urban environment was not consistent with what the people who lived there were used to and they reacted somewhere between with concern and uh aggressively and all of those are completely understandable right no and I, yeah you're this you've you've positioned that well it's not my intention to illustrate anything other than the impact on you really because it's not a normal experience i don't think for most people who go and start a successful business with their friends to need private security and kidnap and ransom insurance and you know it's similar so this is kind of what i'm getting at it's less about where you were and more about the circumstance all right well i'll give you the cool like three-point elevator pitch on the weird shit first of all when you get k and r insurance uh kidnap and ransom insurance to be clear they will pay for you to have your ransom paid uh uh if you're kidnapped in a hostile jurisdiction uh it turns out there's lots of like exclusions in that type of insurance <laughs> Uh, but in, generally speaking, it's, I, uh, it's exactly as intended. It's like, well, you know, one of our professional hostage negotiators will come in on your behalf and come up with the best deal and we'll pay for it. And all you need to do is give us $7,000 a year or whatever. I think it was roughly that if I had to guess. Uh, anyway, it's funny. First thing they tell you when you get K&R insurance, don't tell anyone you have K&R insurance. I to be clear, no longer have K&R insurance. So get that out of your mind. <laughs> uh, Matt. Um, <laughs> never had to pull the trigger on K&R insurance, thankfully. Uh, did have a bunch of weirdo situations. Uh, for sure, the standout was in rural Egypt. I was on a job site. I was with a bodyguard uh, slash driver slash handler, you know, the guy that actually knows what's going on in the place where we are. He was taking me around to our rural locations. We were at a job site. I was looking at some geotechnical data, which is extraordinarily boring when some gentlemen appeared over a hill in the distance and we heard some popping noises and they were indeed shooting machine guns at us, uh, to which my driver slash bodyguard slash handler said, let's get the fuck out of here. I agreed. Uh, to be clear, I am a very soft Canadian boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so this it's is not, <laughs> yes, checks out. I might, I have a, colorful sweater my dress shirt i'm wearing under it is pink is it also linen it is lin it's a pink <laughs> linen dress shirt it, it's it was minus 20 celsius earlier today okay. anyway uh yeah well i also have a jacket uh in any case uh those gentlemen shot at us they were way too like uh just to be nerdy and quantitative about it they're probably 400 yards away so like there is more or less no chance that they would hit us with shooting at us they were scaring us by shooting at us um but we were scared so he took a run for the truck he had somehow gotten winged in the leg by one of these guys wildly like statistically impossible i would imagine but had gotten injured and was bleeding and i was like what the fuck do we do and he was like drive I'm like okay 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 so he's like whoa I, so okay so what do we do next um and he was like airport i was like oh uh you mean hospital for you and he's like no airport for you i was like 
okay you sure <laughs> it's like yes i'm sure this is my job like okay uh what can i do and he's like i don't know i mean i would say press here really hard but no just just drive i was like okay and that was it and then basically i got dropped off at the airport and i have not thought about it since except for uh every day <laughs> Yes, sure. This is a single terrifying incident that happened on one day out of thousands. And it, of course, stands out from among the countless other stressful and traumatic things that go into starting your own business, whether it succeeds or fails. All those things happen, and then, as Sander says, you don't think about it since, except for every day. What's the ultimate toll? We don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but... I mean, you used the word when we were talking the other day, PTSD. First of all, you want to talk about it. And second of all, if you do, I'll let you take it where you want to take it. Uh, I can give you a brief rundown. So first of all, to be clear, I only use the term PTSD because a, uh, a parent professional used that term. I'm not trying to say this cynically. I, a professional told me like, I don't know, seems like everything you're describing to me is mild PTSD. That was very surprising to me because there is other than what I essentially just described to you, which was very fast and over very quickly and really didn't affect me that dramatically. My understanding of PTSD is that it required trauma trauma. It actually does not. Uh, apparently, uh, this is, again, based just solely on things that people who are apparently professionals have told me. Uh, it can be cumulative of just like too much work stress for quite a while and you'll have similar effects slash symptoms as, and, and like, uh, to be extraordinarily clear, this is not at all the same thing that like veterans and stuff have. They, I am on, it's a spectrum. I'm on the extraordinarily mild end, if anything of it, it affects your ability to focus sometimes and to deal with what one would normally characterize as everyday stress of just the like the like like oh something went wrong and i now need to deal with that stuff that is sort of everyday stressful feels significantly more stressful than it needs to it's not a big deal but i'm like oh i can see how this is a big deal to some people like it's like it's just a few steps away of like oh yeah if i did this for a little bit longer that would have messed me up uh yeah. i can see it like it's just it's a weird thing to just sort of like i only just became able to understand it as a result of being like adjacently influenced by it on a very mild way yeah and i think there's maybe a uh, an important thing for any entrepreneur especially but you know i i, I this it doesn't have to be quite that specific but a lot of people who venture out to start something whether it's successful or not find themselves in that situation or something like what you're describing where that cumulative load is pretty huge and acknowledging the potential impact is important right it's not about whether it's mild or severe it's more about this is it is trauma and it matters sure yeah and like five percent of trauma for 10 years is the same thing as 100 percent of trauma for 10 minutes 
um or whatever yeah i'm not sure that math checks out to be honest (laughs) uh but the, the the sentiment is there everyone has this everyone accumulates Wait, is that a word? Accumulates. Accumulates. Good Lord. I'm literally a writing professional. This is embarrassing. It's different than a we talking all... professional. <laughs> that's true. Good Lord. That's true. Uh, we all accumulate like pain. It's sad, but we are just pain sponges. And, you know, it gets absorbed and digested and disposed of much like food. This is a really gross metaphor. I'm just making this up as I'm going along. It's disgusting. Oh, dear. Anyway, okay. let me I guess what you. I'm saying is poop your pain. Don't. Uh... Okay. Yeah. Take this over, please. Okay. Anyone want to guess what Sander does now? He's the founding partner of a company called CS Global, which is a communications consulting firm where, as Sander says, he, quote, ghost writes stuff for people on a corporate level, end quote. The S in CS Global stands for Sander. The C? Well, that's Chris. Who's Chris? Chris was the drummer in my band that recorded in Sander's parents' basement all those years ago. We're still super close, which means that Sander did the whole thing again, starting a business with a friend. Now, I know this is a bit of a trite question, but what did you learn from your Environmina experience, either do or don't do that you're either doubling down on or avoiding with CS Global? First of all, everyone is as bad at their jobs as you suspect that they are, um, which is a weird thing that everyone learns becoming an adult. And like I was, you know, in my 20s, so I was, I guess, a theoretical adult in the like civilization term, (laughs) (laughs) but not with respect to understanding the complexities of industry and capitalism. Uh, So uh, yeah, it turns out there are a minority of people who are excellent at lots of things and really, really very skilled in their trades. However, most people are kind of hit or miss well i know i've had the same experience and i know exactly my takeaway and you can tell me if you agree is when you find people who are inspiring you gotta latch onto those people pretty hard yeah i'm sure you've got some suction cup bruises uh all over your body (laughs) i'll take that as a compliment i think i don't know under any other context i don't think you would but here (laughs) go for it (laughs) But you know what I mean, right? The, yeah, this no, is prob- absolutely. It's just like like anyone who can help you. It's like, I don't even know how you can help me, but you seem really good at the thing that you do. Mm. Like you're yeah, like I, you're a rarity in the world. Humanity in general, I am wildly optimistic. I, it's going good places. We're good. But in terms of the day-to-day of like, I just need to get this thing printed, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... It can be wildly difficult and it's not driven by people. It's not people. In many ways, it's corporations that have like, well, I, you know, our policies trickled down to the people who actually deliver our services in a manner that we didn't expect. And as a result, uh, it sucks. So that was lesson one. Stuff just doesn't work very well. And uh, in many respects, if you want a business idea, just look around. Like if it doesn't work well, do it. That's it. Like, you don't need to invent a thing. You don't need to, like, I have found a way to catch flies that blow your mind. Like, no, you don't need to do that. Like, what is the thing that you tried to buy that you couldn't find? Like, that thing? All right, do that. 
that's it get more like adulty in life as you get older and like like when it comes to like other things like i really need a babysitter like oh should i start a babysitting service so, like <laughs> i've considered that it's like wildly outside of anything i could possibly manage or do and uh, you know there's a small possibility that a bald middle-aged man shouldn't start a babysitting service uh in downtown toronto um i or at least i'd not be the front person for it <laughs> um and and but it was just like a consideration like wow this is really hard to find therefore someone should start a business doing it uh therefore why not me like that's it that's the market cue that you need sounds almost exactly like the entrepreneurial mind frame that lisa oldridge talked about back in episode three Anyway, I'm recording this VO about a week before publication date for this episode. Between now and then, Chris, who now lives in Poland, will coincidentally be in Toronto. If I can manage a bit of magic, then I'll try to get a few comments from him to insert into the episode here. Okay, so I'm Chris Ranowski, and I'm the co-founder of CSG, also known as CS Global. Okay, so seeing as this is like a part of an episode with Sander and me, we, the three of us, we kind of all met the same way, I think. How did that happen? Oh, it would have been back in grade eight for us, Sandra and I, in grade seven for yourself. Um, I believe that's the first time we crossed paths, and that was at Kane Middle School. And we were in the uh, various bands, I guess, a concert band, stage band, most, uh, most notably. Yeah, we met uh, as trombone players. Yeah, on opposite sides of the uh, row, but <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun back then. That's right. Yeah, uh, Poland. The, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess we'll go back in time a little bit. When I was around thirty, thirty-one, um, I got an opportunity to go play hockey in Poland. Um, I picked up a semi-professional contract and uh, headed over there to meet a friend of mine who I played hockey with locally in Toronto. And because I'm half Polish, uh, it was more about the adventure, traveling there, learning about my roots, um, something I'd always been interested in. I had never been to Europe. I just kind of picked up and, and relocated there uh, temporarily at first. And then <laughs> that was like, what, 12 years ago. So I've ended up staying there. I really enjoy it. I like uh, European life, and it's really interesting to you know, I, I didn't really know any Polish people growing up. So uh, as soon as I got there, I started seeing characteristics in people's faces that I recognized from my family and, and idiosyncrasies. And it felt like kind of like a, it was a coming home thing um, in some ways. What's it like starting a business with a friend, doing it from different parts in the world, uh, learning a new business together? What just what's going on? Yeah, uh, well, I think the, the first two parts of your question kind of uh, fit together we started this at the beginning of the pandemic when everything was remote and we were all zooming each other. And because we were friends and we'd known each other for so long, Sandra and I um, found it quite easy to work remotely uh, exclusively. I think being friends helped facilitate that in a, in more easily than if we were just, you know, we had met randomly or didn't know each other that well. It wasn't anything new for me. I had managed projects intercontinentally in the past when I worked in the automotive industry remotely. Because you can't be in India and Europe and North America at the same time. So, uh, of course, there were elements of travel, and I did a lot of travel. But most of the nuts and bolts were handled uh, uh, remotely. But working with a friend, otherwise, I think uh, 
you have the benefit of knowing how each other will respond to certain situations. Not always, but mostly. There are a lot of unsaids in friendships that uh, help smooth situations over. Uh, you're able to kind of read each other's minds a little bit. So I think that's uh, that's very beneficial. Yeah. So there's a superpower. Mm -hmm. Any like kryptonite there? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it, it can be a, a matter of personal accountability because, oh, it's my buddy. So, I, you know, I can brush things off and not feel so bad about it. You know, I, uh, we tend not to do that, of course, but that can be a risk. I could see that happening. So you have to remain quite disciplined with delivering on your promises, make up for the fact that sometimes you, you may be motivated otherwise to, uh, to get things done out of embarrassment with a stranger or somebody who's just a professional colleague. You know, Sandra and I shared one characteristic, a professional one, uh, or competency, if you will, that, that um, we learned while working abroad is that uh, people would come to us to check their English. Uh, because we're working in an uh, in English as a second language environment, primarily. Us being native speakers living abroad bore the brunt of uh, checking and uh, vetting a lot of English that was sent out professionally, especially in writing. Uh, so we decided that, you know, this is something we should focus on because there is a gap out there. Thanks, Chris. And you might have noticed we were doing that remotely. It turns out that we couldn't actually do any recording in the same spot at the same time. Anyway, the themes in what we learned from Sander today are kind of both super extraordinary and generic. Most of us won't accomplish what he's accomplished, certainly not under the same circumstances, but we can all relate to the joy and the pain and the friendship and trauma. I know it's corny to steal from another podcast, but Stephen Dubner's sign-off from the Freakonomics radio show seems a bit too perfect here. If you're not familiar, he ends every episode by saying, take care of yourself, and if you can, someone else too. Thanks, as always, for listening. Reach out anytime with feedback, questions, fan mail, hate mail, or whatever. Send it to soundup at groundupgovernance.com. Catch you next time.